Hello, and thank you for joining us for the Hatchbend Apostolic Church web broadcast. In our society today, some, and yes, sadly, maybe even most, question the value of preaching in their lives. But we still believe what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. In essence, Paul preached that God has chosen the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. And so that's why we still place such a high value on the preached Word of God in agreement to the Scripture. And so now I'd like to thank you again for joining us for a message from our pastor at Hatchbend Apostolic Church. And if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to join me in the book of Exodus chapter 34. I'm going to read a few verses and then we'll pray and I'm going to jump back up in the chapter and then we'll move around a little bit and we're going to come right back to this passage and end hopefully before the strike of midnight. What do you say? Amen. The book of Exodus, well, I got a few amens on that. If I never get any more tonight, I've already garnered a few. The book of Exodus 34 and 31. I'm going to be doing a little bit more reading than I normally do, but just stay with us and if you can't keep up, I'm moving a little faster than you can keep up. Uh, just follow along on the screens, and hopefully we'll, uh, we'll all stay in unison. How about that? Exodus 34 and 31. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in the Mount Sinai. Until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which, is, that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. I want to uh, speak tonight from this subject, what it means to follow. What it means to follow. Amen. I, I, I hope that we can make sense of all that before we... I leave this place tonight. Let's pray. Lord, I love you today, and I thank you for the tremendous privilege that you have given us together one more time. We've come here tonight on purpose, and that purpose is to worship and praise your mighty name. But amid that purpose woven into our purpose and intent tonight is in that our praise and in our worship and in our consideration of your word that you would plant some truths deep within our heart and that we can ultimately leave here changed by the power of your name and the power of your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And you can be seated. You know, we hear a lot, or it's not uncommon, I should say, perhaps, to hear people talking about being a follower of the Lord. And that can have varying definitions for different people. Some consider themselves a follower of the Lord if they just attend church every now and then, like on Christmas and Easter and things of that nature. And others may consider themselves a follower of the Lord if just uh, they're more consistent than that, but, but really it's just hit and miss. It's just kind of the Lord is kind of like a credit card. Just when you, when you have a great need, you just reach in and somehow that garners a little bit more of their time and attention and so that causes them to lean in just a little bit closer and, and for a season of time at least show just a little, little spurt of dedication. But some consider themselves to be a follower of the Lord and, and there's a lot to be desired about their true dedication. I don't want God to just be a spare tire and I sure don't want him to feel like that he's just somewhere, somewhere amid the priorities. I want the Lord to know that he is my priority. And I want to wrap not church around my life, but I want to wrap my life around church. And I don't want to wrap the Bible around my life and the Word of God around my life, but I must wrap my life around the Word of God and let that be the center point and the, the absolute in my life. Um, when I talk about those 
uh, mediocre followers of the Lord, that certainly doesn't describe the man that will be the center of attention for us this evening. I want to talk about Moses. And Moses, when we mention him, is, I think, certainly one of the greatest heroes of faith. It would be very, very hard to make a list about the heroes of the Word of God and be very far into that list before Moses would certainly come to mind. Without a doubt, he was one of the greatest men in all time. And I think in addition to that, Moses was one of the greatest leaders of all time. He was a tremendous leader, and I am so thankful that the Word of God doesn't make any pains to hide the successes nor the frustrations of the men and women that have impacted our lives in Bible characters. Without a doubt, I would say he is one of the greatest leaders, and perhaps there's many reasons for that, but there's something that we must not miss in that uh, accolade, and I think at the center of that would be the one of the reasons that Moses was such a great leader is because he was such a great follower. Now, I will just suggest this to you, and this is not a leadership meeting, but to any leadership that's sitting here, I will tell you emphatically, and this will just be an echo of things you've heard many, many times in our meetings, you cannot be an effective leader if you are not a dedicated follower. Because this is not just about following the Lord. And when I'm talking to our leadership, I'm very blunt and I talk to them openly about you can't just get on board about the things that your, your department has and your programs and then everybody else's just can get by the best way they can. We have to learn to be supporters of everything across the board, no matter what it is. And, and so when we're talking about Moses, what made him such a great leader was the fact that he was such a dedicated follower of the Lord. No matter what the Lord asked of him. And there were times that God asked of him or it seemed as though to Moses that God had asked of him things that were just impossible. As a matter of fact, we, we get real glimpses into Moses' life whenever he just says something, some things akin to, Lord, if this is what it's all going to be about, just take me now. And there's probably not one of us that hadn't felt that way at some point in our lives, and especially if you're a leader. If this is what all is involved, somewhere along the line, I failed to read the fine print, so just take me out now. But somehow through it all, batting back and forth, Moses and God, they were able just to hammer out the details. Moses followed the Lord, and I believe that we need to follow him as well. One of the reasons that we should follow the Lord, and there are many, and I certainly have not brought to this desk an exhaustive list, but I have brought several reasons that we ought to follow him. One of the reasons I believe that we ought to follow him, and these are not necessarily in chronological order, but I believe that we need to follow the Lord because I truly believe that God has a mission for each and every one of us. I've often said that the Lord doesn't fill us with the Holy Ghost just to fill us with the Holy Ghost. It wasn't, it wasn't because he had nothing better to do that day, so he thought, well, I'll just add another number to the church. But God touches us and anoints us and baptizes us with his Spirit because he has a divine, and I might even add a vital mission for us individually. The book of Exodus, chapter 34, and verses 1 through 4. And I'm just going to read a few verses as we go along here. I believe that this passage of Scripture re reveals to us just one of the many vital missions that God had for Moses. Of course, if you know anything about Exodus 34, you know that this is the writing of... Uh, of the second commandments that were given to Moses. One time the finger of the Lord had come down, met with Moses on Sinai, but as Moses was coming down, his flesh got the best of him. And uh, as one man said, he's the only man in the world that broke all ten commandments at one time. But when he heard the cry, and he got down there and began to view all that was going on in the camp of Israel in his absence. Now can you just think about it for a moment because I don't want us to pick on poor old Moses here too unfairly, at least. Moses is on the mountain having one of the greatest spiritual experiences that a man can have. And in just a few days of his absence, and in the full picture, it was just a few days of his absence, they've made a golden calf. They're dancing and carrying on as though God has not done anything for them. And so we can certainly understand the frustration of Moses. But now we find Moses again the second time on the mount. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone, like unto the first. And I will write upon these tables the words 
that were in the first tables which thou breakest. That was kind of a, uh, I think it was pretty clear who broke the commandments, but I believe the Lord was underlining something there. I'm gonna just make them and I'm gonna write again those same, same things that you broke. And be ready in the morning and come up in the morning unto the Mount Sinai and present thyself there to me in the top of the mount. And no man shall come up with thee, neither let any man be seen throughout all the mount, neither let the flocks nor the herds feed before that mount. And he hewed two tables of stone like unto the first. And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up unto the Mount Sinai. As the Lord had commanded him and took his, in his hand the two tables of stone. So here's what the Lord said. He said, in the morning, I want you to get up and I want you to get busy cutting those stones. Now I have no idea what all's involved in the cutting of the stones. The only thing that comes to my mind are the various renditions that we've seen that artists have given us. And that's, of course, just something plucked from their imagination, I, I suppose. But I have no idea. So if it's anything like, if it's anything like the tables that probably are stand, standing in your mind right now, those, those big, big double top tablets or whatever, uh, I have no idea it took him, how long it took him to hew those things out. But the Lord apparently didn't give him a whole lot of warning because he said, I want you to hew them out in the morning. And I want you to come. I would assume that Moses didn't take the posture, the position that, well, you know, I'll just kind of set the alarm 15 minutes early in the morning. But I'm assuming this is something he had to busy himself right then. I mean, you want, you want tables of stone again? Well, I, I had better get busy. And he said, come up in the morning. And apparently Moses didn't waste any time. Because in verse number four, he tells us that he rose up in the morning and went to the mountain as the Lord had commanded him. And so God had a vital mission for Moses because they needed these commandments and he was the only man that could complete this mission. That's why it's important to note that in verse three he said, make sure that no man comes with you and let no other man even be seen about the mount. As a matter of fact, don't even bring the animals. This is a one-man show. This is gonna be between you and me. You and me alone, no one else could do what God had commanded and wanted Moses to do. Now, I have said that to say this, that there are things in this world that no one can do like you and the Lord. God has given you a gift. God has given you an ability. Now, I'm not saying all this to, to, to fluff your feathers or to fluff up your ego, but I'm taught this ought to be an humbling thing. This ought to humble us if it does anything because of who you are and because of where you live and because of the people you know and because of the gifts you possess. You may be the only person that can touch individuals in your sphere of influence. And so God has a vital mission for us. I hope we all listen soberly and realize that God doesn't just call the old, but he calls the young. God doesn't just have to wait until you're 30 or 40 to give you some great mission. He doesn't have to wait until you're 80 to give you some great mission, but God can give you a great mission now. And so it's vital that we become an avid follower of the Lord, that we not waste not one more minute of our lives if we've wasted them. And we need to find what God has for us to do because no one could do what God has called you to do. Amen, I believe that with all of my heart. I believe that God has called me to pastor this church in this hour. Now, I believe I could do things to circumvent the will of God, don't get me wrong, but I believe that God has called me to do that. And because God has called me to do that, then there's not anyone that could do it like me in this season. I'm not boasting. I'm, you, I'm trying to make a point that God has called us in this hour. I believe that God has called Brother Rayleigh to a certain position for this time and this season and what a blessing he is to our church and no one could do that like him. Why? Because God has that mission set for him. 
Hear me tonight. God has a vital mission for us that is kingdom-minded and heaven-minded. That's why it, we need to be a follower of the Lord. I'm talking about what it means to follow. I'm not talking about coming to church on Easter. I'm not talking about showing up on Christmas. I'm talking about dedicating ourselves to the kingdom cause every day of our life because God has something important for us to do. He didn't give us and gift us and bless us with certain things just so that because we were born with some silver, proverbial silver spoon in our mouth. But God blessed us and gave us what he has given us as a gift to the kingdom. So we must be very, very conscientious of that. We may be the only person in the world. There's absolutely no way that I have the influence with your friends that you have. As a matter of fact, if I were to show up in some conversation, they may clam up. And so God didn't just call me to win the world. He called you and I to exercise our gifts together, corporately. He means God had a vital mission and God has a vital mission for everyone in this house. So we need to follow the Lord with a great sense of dedication so that we can discover that mission. I don't say this to stir us and, and to cause spiritual frustration. But I promise you that if you'll be a seeker of God's will, he wants to reveal it. He wants to reveal his will. He's not trying to keep his will hidden from you. Absolutely not. He wants to reveal that. And so we must be a seeker of him to discover that. We also need to follow the Lord, to be a follower of the Lord because indeed he is the master of all that we know and think. God made this very clear in verse number five. In Exodus 34 and five, and the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. There is so much importance to the name of the Lord. Now there's a lot of people that try to trivialize the name, but I'm gonna tell you it's the name whereby you do all your business. <clears throat> you can't just show up You've got to have proof of identification. You've got to have proof that you are who you are if you're going to do any important business in this world. So how much more important it is it for us to know the power of the name when we're doing business? Amen, we need, we need the name of the Lord. In the Hebrew, this name, and this was covered adequately several weeks ago by Brother Woodward, and I won't even try to stand in his shadow, but in the Hebrew, this name was I am, or Jehovah, or Yahweh. The great name of God shows up some 6,820 some odd times in the word of God. In the Old Testament alone, this name was considered to be so holy, as was mentioned. It was considered to be so holy that the scribes and the teachers would not even pronounce it, nor would they even fully write it out because it was just that holy, just that sacred to them. So instead, they used the Hebrew letters. The name was written in English to be the equivalent for us as Y-H-W-H. In many of our English Bibles, it just simply shows up as Lord. This was the name that the Lord used to as he appeared to Moses in Exodus 3 when he first appeared rather in Exodus 3 and 13 when he first appeared to Moses in the burning bush. God said to Moses, thus you shall say to the children of Israel, I am hath sent me unto you. And so whatever God needs to be for you and I, at that moment, he is that. Amen, I am. I am your comforter. I am whatever. If you need a comforter, he is that. If you need a provider, he is that. If you need a savior, he is that. I am. He, you just feel, you write the check and he'll sign it. I promise you. And that's not just pie in the sky and blab it and grab it. But that is the power of the name. There is no limit to what he is. You say, well, I've never been at this juncture in my life. But I'll tell you what, it hasn't taken God by surprise. I've never stood quite at an intersection like this in my life. Well, that's okay. Because whatever you need God to be for you today, he will be just that and more. Why don't we clap our hands to the Lord? no limit 
to what God can be. He's eternal. He is unchanging. Always the same. Yesterday, today, and forever, the scripture declares. If you need hope, peace, and love, God says, I am. I am just that. If you need a fresh start, God said, I am just that. And all of us have needed a fresh start. <laughs> What's that? Uh, Someone date myself here, but what's that old game that we used to play, Little Red? Etch a sketch. Is that what it's called? Come on, folks. Don't leave me out here. And make me feel. <laughs> make me feel like I'm 102. But etch a sketch. If you're just playing along, and all of a sudden you just want to start all over. You just shake it up and start all over. And every now and then, we've all just needed a start over. We just needed somebody to shake it all and clear the board. And when I've needed God to be just that for me, he has been just that. I didn't kneel in an altar of prayer and find that heaven was like brass and God had his arms folded looking down. But I found a God with his arms wide open, ready to extend forgiveness, ready to give me that fresh start. Hallelujah, that's why this is the name that Jesus rightly claimed for himself in John's gospel. When he said in John 6, I am the bread of life. And in John 8, he said, I am the light of the world. And in John 10, he said, I am the door of the sheepfold. And in John 10, again, he said, I am the good shepherd. And in John 11, he said, I am the resurrection and the life. In John 14, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And in John 15, he said, I am the true vine. And in John 8, he said, before Abraham was, I am. He can fill in the blank. He can be whatever you need him to be. He can hold our hand up the mountain as well as hold our hand down the mountain. He can hold our hand while we're on top. He can hold our hand when we're standing in the valley low. Hallelujah. He is God. So that's why I want to follow him because he is the ultimate authority. He is the ultimate power. He is the ultimate strength and so my confidence is not in man because man can move. My confidence is not even in angels because angels can fall but my confidence is in God because in him and him alone can I find strength and so I'm going to hook my I'm going to hook on to that wagon I'm going to hook on to that. I'm going to buy into this. This is not pie in the sky. This is not just buying into a pipe dream but this is what it means to follow him I'm going to follow him because when the world comes crashing down if I have him if I have him it will be alright <laughs> hallelujah I know <laughs> I know it's an age old story I've told many times but Elder R.B. Bingham brother Mike Bingham's grandfather when he was asked many many years ago he said if the world if it all is going to pass away he said where you want to be standing he said I'm going to stand on the word because the Bible says heaven and earth shall pass away but my word is not going to pass so I want to be standing on the word of God the pre-incarnate Jesus Christ is the great I am who met Moses who met with Moses on top of Mount Sinai in the book of Revelation 1 7 and 8 the apostle John spoke of Jesus and this is what he said Revelation 1 7 and 8 behold he cometh with the clouds and every eye shall see him and they also which pierced him and all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him even so amen verse 8 we quote often I am the alpha and omega the beginning and the ending saith the Lord which is and which was and which is to come the almighty I want to follow him because he is the final authority whenever the doctor says yes or no that's not the final authority he is the final authority when the lawyer says yes or no when the judge says yes or no they represent authority in this world but that's not the final authority the final authority is when we fall on our knees before him and we say I've got one more time I've got a prayer what the old song said it's me again Lord I've got a problem I can't solve it's me again Lord I've got a prayer I've got a petition hallelujah I know what the doctor said I know what the lawyer said I know what the attorney said but I want to be a follower of you because you, O oh Lord, and you alone are the final authority. Hallelujah. That's where I'm going to put my trust. Amen. Amen. I'm going to put my trust there. 
You know, parents have all faced this at some point in their life. You know, children, they don't have to be very old before they learn how to pit one against the other. And so when one parent, they're, they're presented with a question by a child, when one, one parent doesn't give the right answer, the child immediately does what? He appeals to another authority. He, they appeal to what they assume to be a higher authority. Right? <laughs> Well, that's just just a little fodder to think about there. But I'm glad we know who the ultimate authority is. I also want to follow him because he is full of grace and mercy. I promise you, if you were given a box full of legal pads and three boxes of pencils, you couldn't stop. You would run out of lead before you ran out of definition for grace. You would exceed your vocabulary. At some point, you may feel several sheets. You may feel, you may be sharp enough to feel several tablets, but at some point, you're just going to run out of words because we have no idea in our human capacity to figure out what grace really means. So I want to follow him because I know he is full of grace and mercy. You know, what, what was it? Uh, was it David that said, don't let me fall into the hands of man? Somebody. Was it David that said, don't let me fall into the hands of man? Whatever, whatever it is, don't let me fall into the hands of man, whatever it may be, because I'm going to tell you, your best friend can cut your gizzard out. And David was sharp enough to realize that. Whatever it takes... Just don't let me fall into the hands of man. Let me just, let me put my circumstance in the hands of a God that I know is just. He will be fair, not biased. He will be fair. He will be honest. He will be true. He will be just. And so I'm going to follow him because you're going to need grace. If you haven't already needed, I need it every day. But if, if you haven't already needed some grace and mercy, you better get in line. So I'm going to follow him closely because I need grace and I need mercy. Exodus 34 and 6, And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth. Oh, my. I want to follow after that because I'm going to need some of that mercy and some of that grace and some of that long-suffering and some of that goodness and some of that truth. The forgiveness he talks about in verse 7 is a, a word picture of sorts. When he, when he talks about the Lord God, graceful, gracious, merciful rather, and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth, it, there's a word picture here that we need to grasp. When he talks about forgiveness, even in verse 7, it's a word picture of lifting something up from off of us and taking it away. And that's important that we understand that when we talk about God's grace and his mercy and his forgiveness, to lift something off of us. Now, if you've ever needed forgiveness, and I'm not just talking about forgiveness of sin, but sometimes we just need forgiveness for our own blunders. And if you've ever stood in line needing forgiveness and received that forgiveness, then you can comprehend what I'm talking about, about somebody just kind of lifting that, just lifting that load and taking it away. And I don't have to feel guilty anymore and and someone said, now listen, you don't need to ever think about this again. You just need to forget this and let's just move forward. That was them taking something and lifting it off of me and casting it away. And so when the Lord is talking about forgiveness, he's not just trying to pick something up long enough for us to get another breath, but he's talking about taking it away. That's incredible. And that's exactly what the Lord did with our sins on the cross of Calvary. God spoke these words to Moses some 1,400 years before the cross, but he pointed people to the cross through the lambs that they had to sacrifice for their sins. God's mercy for us came at the highest price in that he gave himself a living sacrifice. 
I want to follow him because he's full of mercy. I also want to follow him because really and truly he is a miracle worker in the truest sense of the word. And, and I'm not just trying to rouse you this evening, but he really is a miracle worker. He really is the, a miracle worker. In, in 34 verses 8, 9, and 10, the Bible says this, And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshipped. And he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for thine inheritance. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as have not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord, for it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. The word terrible, that, that means an incredible. means a powerful thing that I'm going to do with thee. And so he said, I will do that. And so God had already brought 10 plagues on Egypt. <clears throat> if you've been reading through your Bible starting this year, you probably already close to this part of the story or maybe a little beyond that, reading about the plagues that have been brought on Egypt. And he's now, uh, another thing that he has done for them as part of the Red Sea, but there were many, many more miracles to come. Just one example was the manna that came from heaven for them to eat every day. Now just think about that. I know that we all try to envision that in our own way and we, can't, we wouldn't be human if, if, that, if that wasn't the story. But listen how David describes this incredible miracle in the 78th Psalm. In Psalm 78, 23, he says, Though he had commanded the clouds from above and opened the doors of heaven and had rained down manna upon them to eat, and had given them, uh, given them of the corn of heaven. Man did eat angels' food, sent, the, and he sent them meat to the full. David said that what the Lord did every day was sent them angel food. <laughs> this was just a miracle, a daily miracle. And then he said on the sixth day, I want you to gather enough for the sixth and seventh day. And that was the only day that they could do that. It was just enough to sustain them, but what a miracle. Now, don't you think it would have been enough? You know, we read about the children of Israel and you just can't even hardly read very far at all before they're griping about the, the word. The Bible uses the word murmur, but they're just griping and complaining about this, griping and complaining about this. Now, realize every day before they open their mouth to complain, they have to open the tent door and behold the manna. Would to God we had just, you know, can you just see them picking up the manna? Would to God we just died in Egypt. Where is God when we need him? While they're picking up manna. Where is God when you need him? And sometimes we feel the same way. Where is God when we need him? But if we could just look around us, it's not literal manna laying on the ground, but it's something just as miraculous that God is unfolding day by day by day in our life. Angels' food. There's just simply too many miracles to try to name them all, and I won't do that here this evening. But if we think about Joshua, the Bible talks about Joshua 3 and 15 and verse number 16. And they that bear the ark were unto Jordan, he said. And the feet of the priests that bear the ark were dipped into the brim of the water. For Jordan overfloweth all his banks at all the time of the harvest. That the waters which came down above stood and rose upon and heat very far from the city of Adam. That is beside Zaratan. And those that came down toward the sea of the plain, even the salt sea failed and were cut off. And the people passed right over against Jericho. The miracles, miracle after miracle after miracle. And so before when they came to a body of water, the Lord said to Moses, hold out your rod. And he began to let a wind blow and they separated. This time with Joshua, what are we going to do, Lord? He said, said pick up the ark and when the feet of the priest touch the water it's going to part and you're going to go across on dry land it was somewhat the same miracle but it happened differently in the beginning 
but ended the same. What I'm telling you is this, is that the God that was the miracle worker at the Red Sea and the God of the miracle of Jordan's River is the same God that is in this house tonight. We worship him. We felt him. We feel him now. I want to follow him because he's a miracle. I'm not falling for the signs and wonders. Don't get me wrong. But you never knew, know when you're going to need a miracle from God. I don't want a strange voice to cry out from earth to heaven. I don't want a strange voice to cry out from here to there. But when I cry, I want him to know exactly that is my sheep, that is my child. Hallelujah. I want to follow him because I never know when I'm going to need a miracle. I never know when I'm going to need a miracle and I'm not going to have time for 30 minutes of prayer. I'm not going to have time for 45 minutes or an hour of consecration. I may only have time to say, Jesus, it may only be the only time that I have but I want to follow him because he's a miracle worker. Hallelujah. Oh, God, hallelujah. In Joshua 6, God made the walls fall down. When the children of Israel cried and the priests blew the ram's horns, that same miracle-working God that parted Jordan's river caused the walls of Jericho to fall flat. This is the same God we're serving tonight, and all things are possible with him. So follow the Lord because he has miraculous power in his hands. We need to follow the Lord because he really wants to manifest his glory in us. Stay with me just a few more minutes and I'm going to close. But God really wants to manifest his presence through us. Over the next verses, God began to explain and even expand on what he had already told Moses. For example, in verse 14, he said, you're going to worship no other gods for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. Verse 17, he said, you shall make no molded gods for yourself, etc. Verse 21, six days you shall work on the seventh day have rest. All these things, Moses was familiar with all these things. However, if we move down to verse 28, the Bible says, and he was there with the Lord 40 days and 40 nights. He did neither eat bread nor drink water. And he wrote upon the tables the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And it came to pass when Moses came down from the Mount Sinai with the two tables of testimony in Moses' hands. And he went down from the Mount that Moses wist not that the skin of his face shone while he talked to him. He, there was a transformation of the life, of literal transformation of the life of Moses that he wasn't even aware of. And when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw the, Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone and they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. And afterward, all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken to him in the mount. And till Moses had done speaking with them, he put the veil on his face. Now I think it's interesting to note that the very face of Moses began to shine because, I believe, of the time that Moses spent with God. Moses followed the Lord so closely that his countenance reflected the glory of God. Now this seems almost unobtainable in our minds, but hear me. This is what it means to follow the Lord. What it means to follow the Lord is not a casual observer from a distance, but somebody that's willing to go to the mountain and do whatever it takes to be in the presence of God. And when that happens, you won't be the only one to know, but people will recognize something in you that you don't even recognize in yourself. Amen. Everybody all right? There's something we should all comprehend this, morning, this afternoon, and that is the fact that God is wanting to do this same thing in us. Because of the infilling of the Spirit, because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we now have the manifest power of God's glory in us. The Apostle Paul made an incredible comparison in 2 Corinthians 3, and I won't belabor the issue, but here in part is what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 3 and 7. He said, but if the ministration of death written and engraved in stones was glorious. He's referring to the law and he's referring to the Ten Commandments. He said, if that was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory 
was to be done away, or in other words, this if 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 the law and the and the Ten Commandments and what was happening with Moses, he said that that was written in stone. If that was so glorious that people could not even behold the face of Moses without seeing the glimmer of the power of God and that was a glory that was going to fade away because that was the glory that came on Moses, not in Moses. Stay with me now. He said, how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather more? Amen. How, how, the word rather there means more. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious or more glorious? And so this is not like the Spirit of God that just comes on us like it came on Samson and would lift and come back on and lift. But we are filled with the power of the Holy Ghost. And so I've got His Spirit when I lay down. Hallelujah. And I've got his spirit when I wake up in the morning. I've got his anointing when I close my eyes at night. But if I'm awakened at two o'clock in the morning, I don't have to go try to find an ephod to put on. I don't have to go try to find a garment to put on. I don't have to rummage through the closet and say, what nail did I hang the garment on? I went to bed with his power. I went to bed with his spirit. And I will wake with his spirit. And so Paul said, if that glory which can fail was so glorious that men couldn't even look how much more how much more is the power I'm talking about what it means to follow the Lord I'm not just talking about showing up clapping our hands on time praying when we say pray bow our heads when we talk about bowing our heads I'm talking about when we close these doors and turn out these lights I'm going to be an avid follower of the Lord I'm still going to be thinking about him I'm still going to be talking about him I'm still going to be worshiping him Glory to God. Verse 13, 2 Corinthians 3, 13. I am honestly trying to, to land. <laughs> I know somebody's thinking just because you overprepared don't mean you have to overstuff. But 2 Corinthians 3, 13 and said, and not as Moses, which put a veil over his face that the children of Israel could not steadfastly look to the end of that which is abolished or to the end of that which will fade, in verse 18, he said, but we all, with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. Another translation, hang on, another translation says it this way, but we all, with an unveiled face, beholding as in the mirror the glory of God, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. I'm telling you that we can walk into the hardware store and somebody can say I feel the Holy Ghost I feel something different you can walk into Walmart or Lowe's or Publix or wherever it is and somebody can say there's something different why because I've been filled with the Holy Ghost and I am a follower of the Lord Hallelujah! I am a follower of the great I am I'm a follower praise God Come on, musicians, that'll, that'll help the weary. I promise you, if you'll just move this way, that'll help the weary. The glory on Moses' face was so bright that all the children couldn't even stand to look. So Moses' face had to be covered for a season. But that glory faded. But the glory of the New Testament is far better because that is the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives to change, to transform. Hallelujah. The closer you get to the Lord, the closer you follow Him. My good friend, Brother, Brother Joe Osborne said it, said it best this way. He said, you know, he said to the, to the disciples that followed the Lord, now this will be an analogy all of us around here can really get because we know what it's like to live with dust, dusty roads. Not Dusty Rhodes, the wrestler, but <laughs> Dusty Rhodes. He said, as the master walked along, the disciple that was following him the closest had more dust on his garment. Man, let's just let that marinate just a minute. 
So I want to be close enough to the Lord. As I'm walking along, I've got dust from the master's feet. I've got dust from the master's feet. It's on my garment. I've got dust from the master's feet. It's in my nostrils. It's around my eyes. It's around my ears. I've got dust from the master's feet. Amen. The more we follow him, the more we're going to look like him and act like him and talk like him. Amen. That's, that's the truth. And so what's wrong? Let me, let me deviate here for just a moment. What's wrong when somebody has to stand behind a pulpit and drive holiness into the hearts of people? The, 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 the issue that's wrong there is that you're not preaching to real followers. And I'm not trying to negate any responsibility of the pulpit, but I can tell you that the closer people get to God, the less you got to worry about stuff like that. Because the closer you get to Him, you won't, lead, you won't need somebody to read a laundry list of do's and don'ts. Because when you walk in some place that's not the right place, something in your heart's going to cry out, and you're saying, you know what? I'm following the Lord, but I don't think he walked in here. If I'm following the Lord, I don't think he's going to sit down and read this. If I'm following the Lord, I don't think that they're going to sit down and look at this and look at all blah, 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 blah. Follower of the Lord. I'm talking about what it means to follow. What it means to follow. I want to go back in our text, and I'm going to just make one final point. And I, I won't read it all, so if you can kind of just skip around here with me just a moment. Uh, maybe go to... Um, Verse number 33. I'm just skipping for your sake here. And, and the Bible says in verse 33, and till Moses had done speaking with them, he had been talking with them about what had happened in the mount. And then he put a veil on his face. But when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake to the children of Israel that which he commanded. And verse 35 says, And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of his face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him, talking about the Lord. And so here's just one last thought that I want to leave you in closing. Is that when Moses went in before the Lord, he had to take the veil off of his face and I'm just, just going to drop this in your heart and you can, no new doctrine here, but just you do with it what you will. I believe that Moses was signifying to us that there can be nothing between us and God. Nothing. What is a veil? I mean, my wife wore a veil when we got married, but it, it wasn't no secret who was coming down the aisle. I could see through the veil. I could see... Her smile, I could see her her emotions, I, I could see her countenance. I it wasn't like some black bag that had been placed over her face. But a veil, it just it just shrouded just slightly. But Moses said, I can't even have this between me and God. And so the next time you're looking for a pastor somewhere to give you a laundry list of things to do and not do and on and on and on. Think about this. If a veil was too much. If a veil was so much so that Moses said, wait a minute before you speak. I don't want anything between me and you. Nothing between me and you. I don't want a bad spirit. I don't want a bad attitude. I don't want my own agenda, my own selfish motives. I want nothing to be between. I'm talking about what it means to follow. I'm not talking about casual Christianity. I'm not talking about just doing this when it's fun and getting on board when it's something we're interested in. I'm talking about being a follower of the Lord. I'm talking about when the mountaintop is sheer and it's just filled with rocks and and thorns and thistles. And I'm talking about seasons of greatness and seasons of wonder. But it's not always that way. But when you just sign up to follow, we just follow.
Amen. Why don't we stand? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. My God, I feel your presence in this house. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I wonder if just by way of commitment, just by way of recommitment, just by way of renewing, refreshing, we could just step out into the aisle and say, well, this is how we end every service. I, I realize that. But you know, there's something that happens when we move, when we move. And just say, Lord, I want to be a follower of you. And I want you to reveal to me, God, things that stand between me and you. And Lord, when you reveal those things to me, I'm going to start doing something about it. It may be sheer and it may seem nonsensical. It may, it may seem as innocent as a veil, but God, I don't want anything, anything between me and you. We've been on a journey for the last several weeks, last couple of weeks, two and a half weeks. We've been on a journey together as a church. We've been fasting and praying. We've been talking to the Lord. We haven't done this so that we could kind of present some false sense of holiness or Christianity. No, 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 no. What we've been trying to do, we've been trying to make sure there's something between me and the Lord. I want to examine my heart. I want to examine my spirit. I want to examine my thoughts. I want to examine my motives. Oh, in the name of Jesus, in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Can you make an altar where you are? Can you crucify yourself right there where you are? Oh, God, don't let anything come between me and you. It may seem innocent. It may seem harmless. Oh, But oh God, if it's nothing more than a veil before you speak, let me remove it because I need your power and your presence to speak to me in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This message has been brought to you today by the media ministry of Hatchbend Apostolic Church. We pray that it's ministered to you in some way, and we'd like to take this opportunity to invite you to join us in service here at Hatchbend Apostolic. Our Sunday services begin at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night service at 7.30 p.m. For any more information or to speak with our ministry staff, please feel free to call our church office at 386-935-2806, or you can visit the contact link here on our website. Again, thank you for listening, and we pray God's richest blessings on you and your family.